0: We speak to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the days leading up to and shortly after January 1st, it seemed as if everywhere I turned, someone had something to offer on the subject of New Year's resolutions. And because there's plenty of room for improvement in every area of my life, I read and listened to and thought about all the insights and suggestions and helpful advice that surrounded me on every side. One article in particular caught my attention from the newspaper. It was entitled, How to Make and Keep a New Year's Resolution. Warning, the author begins, more than half of all resolutions fail. But this year, they don't have to be yours. Here's how to identify the right resolution to improve your life, create a plan on how to reach it, and become part of the small group of people that successfully achieve their goal. This was the article for me, I thought. Her first piece of advice Pick the right resolution. Apparently, there are a lot of resolutions fail because they're the wrong ones. And what makes a resolution wrong? Those we make based on what someone else is telling us to change, she suggests, or ones that are too vague, or those that lack a realistic plan for success. Be smart about your resolution, she says. And she goes on to cite one of those management practices that uses the word smart as an acronym. So our resolution should be S, specific, M, measurable, A, achievable, R, relevant, and T, time bound. It's not a good food for thought here, and I pondered what the right and smart resolution for me might be, and, and several came to mind, one that I would feel really good about if I actually accomplished. Unfortunately, in my brain, if one resolution is good, then 30 must be better, and so in rather short order, I had at least that many, but 30 resolutions fails the achievability test. If you're anything like me, finding one resolution is a bit tough to focus on. There is the need, the deep necessity of every life to scatter wide seed in many fields, but build one barn. So writes the poet Josephine Johnson for people like me. One barn, one Resolution. Then it may be said of you, she goes on, Behold, she has done one thing well, and she knows whereof she speaks, and she means what she has said, and we may trust her. This is sufficient for a life. What might my barn be, I wondered this year, my one resolution, the one thing I could do well. I thought perhaps I had found the answer when I came across the title of a sermon series that's being offered just right around the corner here. And the title is Margin, Making Room for What Matters Most. And as soon as I read it, I thought, well, that's what I need. I need margin more than anything. But, but is that too big a resolution? Because if you're going to create margin, you have to look at Everything everything you're doing and decide to do something less. And I wasn't even sure I wanted to do that right now, in my life and in the world when there's so much good work to be done. Back to the drawing board, I came across another approach to New Year's resolution, again from a pastor that I admire. And he suggests that we spend time in this New Year's season reflecting back on the past year and make a list. Of five or six things that we're most grateful for. And then to look back and consider the things that you might want to do a bit differently in the coming year. Um, maybe things that you need forgiveness for, he said, or that you just want to do in a different way. And then finally, think about the world around you and how God might need you to be more engaged in the coming year, he said, to help set the world aright. Think of all of that. and. Consider, he said, writing a letter to God, giving thanks, asking for forgiveness, offering yourself to God as you begin the new year. So I sat down on New Year's Day, and I was going to review the past year, and I pulled out my journal. I'm a rather erratic journal writer, but I always have one. And I have to say, it was both illuminating but mostly humbling, to read the things that I had written over the past year, the things I was grateful for, the things I struggled with, because I realized that they just don't change that much over time. I mean, I'm almost certain if I pulled a journal from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, while my life circumstances were different, basically, the things I wrote about were the same. Same gratitudes, same struggles, which is to say that no matter how much my life has changed on the outside, it's remarkably similar on the inside. I was having this conversation with my mother, who's 86, and she said, I look in the mirror and I don't recognize the person in the mirror because the person on the inside still feels like I'm half my age. So maybe this year, like most years, is a year for small steps, not big Barnes, the Bishop of Atlanta suggested this on his Facebook page. My hope and prayer is that we might be a half-step more courageous, a half-step more faithful, a half-step more loving as Jesus loved. Which I thought, well, I could do that. Though I never did write my letter to God, nor did I ever come up with on my own the one smart resolution that would improve my life. But something else happened. And it happened in a way that lifted this whole conversation and put it in a different plane. And as it happened, I happened to be reading the Bible. And in particular, I was reading the passage that that you just heard read. Um, because I was coming to be with you. Uh, you, the Church of the Epiphany, on the Feast of the Epiphany. You don't need me to tell you what the word your church is named for means. It means revelation. It means a sign from God. It means, according to your rector, a light bulb going off. It means seeing a star and amazingly enough I kid you not that's what I received this little epiphany a personal revelation and it went something like this I almost think I heard God say to me quietly in a whisper please stop making resolutions on your own look around you for signs for me and follow them. Pay attention. Watch for guidance that will come to you and it will feel like a door is opening and walk through it. Be like the wise ones who followed a star. Now who do you think they were? These magi? Some think they were of the priestly class of the Zoroastrian faith, and if that's true, it was their job to study the stars and interpret them as signs from God. But somehow, when they saw this particular star, they determined that they were the ones to follow where it led them, And that's what they did. And I have no doubt that the journey was hard at times, but you can't help but get the feeling that the decision to make the journey came to them rather quickly, that the star was compelling, and it was clear, and they knew their task. And I don't know how often you have that experience, but there is such freedom in that kind of clarity, however it comes. It's such a gift to know what is yours to do in that particular moment, not because you were smart enough to think of it, but because God gave you something, a sign, a door opening, a path illumined. So I am on the watch now for signs from God to guide me each day, and it's It's not that I've abandoned my goal-setting or my resolution-making. I couldn't abandon that if I tried. But what a relief to remember from time to time that I'm not in charge, that there's more in play than I could ever make happen on my own. And I simply share that with you as a possibility for you, too, for you and for this community of faith and for all of us, that God set an intention that God has made resolutions revealed to us in Jesus, and God invites us to join in that fulfillment. And of course, responding to that is no small thing, but the experience of it is not an obligation so much as it feels like an invitation. And the other thing, it needn't always be hard. Sometimes, it's a joy. I was reminded of a novel I read a few years ago. You may have read it as well. It's called The Shipping News by Annie Prue. tells a story of this middle-aged man who for years endured his wife's infidelity and petty cruelty out of his sheer devotion to her, which didn't matter. She left him anyway for another man, one of the many she had chosen over him. And later in his life, another woman... Um, became part of his relationship circle, and gradually he realized that he might be falling in love with her, but he didn't recognize the feeling at first because it didn't hurt. Love had always been painful, and this was something else. It was comforting and supportive. And it may be, the author wrote, that love sometimes occurs without misery, And could it be the same for our resolutions, our revelations? The poet Wordsworth experienced an epiphany just like that when he was walking in the British countryside, taking in the landscapes in the field, and he wrote, And need I say, dear friend, that that to the brim my heart was full. Now hear this, I made no vows, but vows were made for me bond unknown to me was given, that I should be, else sinning greatly, a dedicated spirit. What if vows, what if God has made vows for us, revealed to us in Jesus? So I leave you with the invitation to consider God's intentions, God's desires, God's hope for you, God's vows to you and to us, to our city, to our nation, and, that, and to consider that God will provide and is providing for you and for me the illumination we need to take our next faithful step. It's not always going to be easy to follow. We know this but it needn't always be hard. So may we arise, my friends, and shine, for our light has come. Amen.